Welcome to Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C fulfillment podcast. I'm your host, Chad Rosecca. Our guest today is Jack Peck, the president of FastFetch Corporation, a company that offers a variety of solutions to help automate order fulfillment, including ours here at Amware. Jack is a scholar. He's headed up the Department of Computer Science at Clemson University. He's an inventor. He holds several different patents. And perhaps most importantly, he's a businessman responsible for running FastFetch, including the sales and product design. Jack is a very good, or has, I should say, a very good perspective on how technology can be deployed in a warehouse. And we're really curious to hear what his thoughts are this afternoon. Jack, welcome to the podcast, sir. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, likewise. So I think a good place to always start is just maybe a quick introduction or shorthand version of your background and just kind of how you ended up where you are. I think our listeners always enjoy that aspect leading into the conversation. Sure. Well, as an undergraduate, I was a mathematics major in computer science, went to graduate school and really did a lot of entrepreneurial types things when I was in graduate school. So I got a flavor of the industry, worked a lot as a consultant for Dow Chemical, Teneco, Shallow Oil, those types. Went to Clemson University after I got my doctorate degree in the University of Louisiana. And at Clemson, became a professor, I was department chair, retired early, and uh, then started my own business. As a matter of fact, I started a business called Foxfire Technologies. We did a lot of work in road warehouse management software. Saw a lot of the good, the bad, and the ugly out there in different applications in different companies. Had some interesting ideas about how we could improve upon the order fulfillment activities that those companies had. Went ahead and filed some patents on those ideas. When the patents came through, we spun off from Foxfire a company called FastFetch Corporation, which is the company I'm the president of now, and put those ideas that we took from the research lab that I was doing at the university and put them into practice out in industrial applications in FastFetch. And so that's where we are today. So that's a spinoff. Is that how FastFetch came to be? Yes, it is. I was the chairman of the board at Foxfire Technologies, sold Foxfire in 2007 to devote my full energies to FastFetch. And FastFetch concentrates not on everything in the warehouse, concentrates really on the order fulfillment parts of the things that go on in the warehouse, which represents 60 to 70% of the labor. So that was the low-hanging fruit as we saw it in terms of making improvements. So I think what I'm really interested to get your perspective on right off the bat, Jack, is throughout all that time that you spent within the industry and have seen, as you just said, the good, the bad, and the ugly, what kind of mistakes do you see brands right now making as it relates to the selection process of selecting the right technology? Well, you have to have a lot of scars to really do it right. You learn from your mistakes. And we've seen some mistakes that people have learned from in the past. And oh, I can remember one company that we went to, they make costumes and party supplies. Well, as you might imagine, they're really, really busy about two months before Halloween when you're making costumes. So a lot of seasonality in their product. And so they had a system which used voice picking and they had a hundred voice units at the time when we signed our contract with them. And their problem was they couldn't pick enough fast enough to satisfy that big bump of orders that they got right before Halloween. And matter of fact, they had to cut off their orders fairly early, like about a week before Halloween, so they could get them all picked before. They were leaving about a million dollars on the table. 
simply because they couldn't get the orders out in time. So they replaced 100 voice systems with 40 carts. And those carts carried about 24 orders on each one, did batch picking. And there are lots of companies that can do batch picking now, but that one move actually allowed them to double their number of orders per day that they could pick with, instead of having about two to 300 temp workers, they did it with 75 full-time people and got double the number of orders at the same time. So that shows you the kind of mistakes you can make when you buy things that really aren't as well-suited to your problem as other technologies. And again, you learn from that. It's a great one. In that example, the costume company, so they selected voice picking and the right solution all along was just a batched cart pick and never had in you know, altogether in voice applications. I'm not against voice picking. Voice is fine for a lot of things, but you can misapply it at the same time. You have to train the voice systems in your voice so it'll understand what words you're saying and what they mean. Secondly is that there's a lot of noise, ambient noise in warehouses with forklifts and other things going on. That presents problems with misrecognitions or non-recognitions. Thirdly, as your voice changes when you have a cold and that type thing, you know, that becomes an issue. There's some issues that people have with hygiene. I don't want to use your headset because of the fact that there are hygiene problems, perhaps, if I do that. And so those are the kind of things, in addition to being slow, voice systems require when you get to the location, it tells you to read a set of check digits that is at the location, and you read it, and it takes time, rather than just having a light or something to say, pick me. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of problems that voice systems are presented with when they use for order fulfillment. Do you find that most brands are selecting technology based on just the picking application? So one of the things that you just mentioned, you can use it in all sorts of different environments, right? Whether it's receiving or put away or picking. Do most people, so maybe they're not multidimensional, they're just like thinking about the picking application. Is that a common misconception of brands selecting technology, do you think? To some degree, it is. Buyer beware, if you will, but it is also the fault a little bit for the salespeople that are selling voice. They want to sell it for everything possible that you might be able to use it for. So, so perhaps they overemphasize the applicability of voice to order fulfillment, that is to picking. How about other types of technologies? Can we maybe just get your thoughts on different types right now that are evolving? Is what are your views on pick to light or maybe vision picking? Well, we've had them do a variation of Pictolite. In fact, our first patent was a variation of Pictolite. We typically like to use the word light-directed picking because people already have something in their mind when you say Pictolite and they assume that you're like every other Pictolite system, and we're really not. Pictolite's been around since 71. The problem with it back then, and to some extent now, is its cost. I mean, if you have to have a light that costs, I don't know, anywhere from 200 to $400 per light module per product location, then that can get kind of pricey if you have a whole lot of products. The second thing with Pictolite itself is that there's an infrastructure required to install it. Typically, this starts with a computer in the back room someplace that runs all your lights, and you're subject to fault tolerance issues. That is, they're not very tolerant to some types of problems. For example, if that computer goes down or if the network goes down that the computer is using, none of your lights work. Another problem, of course, is scalability because as you add more and more and more lights your performance starts to degrade. So scalability is not there the way you'd like it. So those are some of the typical problems with 
pick the light. Let me mention one more, and that is the mechanical button. All the pick the light systems today have a mechanical button that you press to confirm that you've picked that item. If you talk to people that have used it a lot, that's one of the sources of problems. The mechanical button eventually gives out, and then you have to go back to the manufacturer to get a new light. There's one company that we were working with that had the problem of they went back to the manufacturer to get a replacement light for several of their lights that had gone south on them. I live in the south, so it's okay to use that term. They went back to the manufacturer. The manufacturer said, we don't support that model anymore, and Walmart bought all of our spares. We can't give you a replacement for it. You have to change out all your pick-the-light system. Well, they weren't too pleased with that answer, of course. So that is a problem with pick-the-light is that mechanical button. What we do is, first of all, we don't have mechanical buttons. We just wave your hand in front of the light. It senses that when a light senses a proximity switch, which is equivalent to a button, but it's touchless. So again, during periods of COVID, as you mentioned, there is nothing to touch, which is kind of nice. Secondly, is that every bay stands on its own. You don't have the computer connected to the bay. What we do is we have a cart with a computer on it. We talked about batch picking. And some of our customers, for example, have 53 orders on a cart. As you roll the cart down the aisle, it figures out where you are. It says stop when you get to the right location. That's part of our patent on our first patent. It says stop. It knows where you are. It lights up the lights on a bay from the computer that's on the cart, generally a tablet. Then it says, come pick me. (laughs) And so you can then go pick the item and it uses lights on a cart to say, hey, put it right here in the quantity indicated. It allows you to do batch picking with lights on the cart and lights on the bay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you still are getting a pick confirmation in the process, it sounds like, regardless. Yes. You're getting the confirmation because you're waving your hand in front of a flashing LED in the light. And it senses that as if you had pushed a mechanical button, except there's no button to wear out. And for the listeners or brands that are trying to grow and you're having 50,000 or 100,000 plus orders a month, think about all the times you're hitting that button. It's fast and probably not gentle before those things wear out and then become, as you just mentioned in the example, obsolete altogether and you have to replace the system. So I definitely like the wave off functionality. It's a big advantage. The cost of an infrared, we use an infrared a lot. So the cost of an infrared emitter and transmitter is pretty small. So that really is the heart of it right there. It feels as though, Jack, a lot of ASRSs or automatic storage retrieval systems are becoming more popular, typically at the startup when a new facility goes in. Do you have any perspective on when ASRSs are more advantageous than maybe when not to deploy it? For example, when somebody did deploy it, maybe shouldn't have. Well, it depends on the problem you have and also on the nature of your product. For example, A-frames are very fast. I don't know if you're familiar with A-frames, but A-frames are colored like a pup tent, a real long one, maybe 50 yards long, and with a conveyor going down the center of it and down the sides of the A-frame are products that are loaded. They have to be small, typically. You're not going to put bicycles there. But so they have to be small products. And as the conveyor moves down the center of this big, long pup tent, they actually dispense items into little subdivisions on the conveyor, which then will represent orders. Well, that's great if you have small products and you have the need to fill them very, very quickly, and you have the resources to buy an A-frame. They're not cheap, as you might imagine. But again, if your A-frame goes down, you're out of luck. 
So the fault tolerance on A-frames is not particularly high. I went to one cosmetic company when their A-frame was down. Well, it was down because of the fact that it got all messed up and it's dispensing products that were going into the conveyor and under it rather than on it. But there can be problems with fault tolerance with high technologies if you're not careful. Carousels would be another example. Carousels are great if you're short on floor space, but they're typically pretty slow. They have to turn to the product that you need to pick. And if you're doing that, it's actually pretty slow. And if your product, often there are multiple carousels, which helps some because some of your products are on one carousel, some on another. So if you're picking product from one, it can be rotating the second carousel to the products that are needed from it. So there can be speed there. But again, you're typically filling one order or very few at a time. And so it's slow compared to other techniques that might be out there. Similarly for vertical lifts, they're nothing but a carousel sitting on the side, if you will, with a vertical lift. AMRs are technologies now that are typically oftentimes classified ASRS types of things. And we can spend a lot of time talking about AMRs, autonomous mobile robots. They're AGVs on steroids, if you want to think of them that way, where you don't have to have the wire in the floor or the tape or that type thing. I'm not knocking ASRS. They're really, really good for some applications, but they're not general purpose. You really have to look at the application and the resources and the needs and your budget to see whether or not they're good for you. What about kidding? I noticed a lot of brands who do scale at some point or another start to expand their assortment and one becomes a little heavy on kidding, right? To That supports that growth. What type of automation are you aware of if you are on just kidding automation? You know, if I want to get paper plates for my party and I want to get cups and hats and all of the Superman theme, perhaps, then I want to do a kit, if you will, that has different quantities of a collection of products that all need to go together into an order. Do you find all these robotic arms and I guess in some instances, AMRs, are those finding their way into the kitting automation solutions right now? They are in some specialized instances, but as far as general purpose, they still aren't there yet. And I don't think they're going to be there for 10, 15 years even. But, you know, you have a robot, a fixed arm that can pick something else and it can place it someplace. It's going to have trouble with the end effectors picking up an eyelash and an anvil, an anvil perhaps with the same end effector. You're not going to do that. At least not for right now. A human can do that. Similarly, when they pick it, not only do you have to put it into a box, but oftentimes you have to position it in that box in such a way that it will be packed nicely by the time you get finished. Well, again, to try to minimize wasted space. And the arrangement and the vision and the dexterity and all of those other things that people can do, we're still not there with robots yet. And I think it'll be a long time before we will be there too. But it will happen. I'm not denying that it'll happen. But in the meantime, what are you going to do in the next 15, 20 years? This episode is sponsored by Amware Fulfillment. Amware is a third-party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack, and ship services to established direct-to-consumer brands. With fulfillment centers in every region of the U.S., Amware supports one- to two-day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. Yeah, I think when you go to a lot of the trade shows, you see a lot of companies that are promoting it. But the one commonality I think that they all have is that dexterity. They'll show the concepts and the robotic arm kind of reaches in there, tries to build or pick it or kit it, whatever the task is. 
but it seems like a couple out of every 10 reaches, it isn't quite perfect. And if you step back, you're like, man, the air rate on these are really, really high still because of the dexterity isn't down yet. And if a human drops something on the floor, it could pick it up and <laughs> put it back in the box. Exactly. Humans don't have the ability to reach down to the floor are not going to do that. So there are issues that still have to be overcome, and it'll be quite a while before they are overcome, I'm sure. Well, they can walk around like a human does and act like a human does, then it's still going to be a little bit of a problem. There will be a uh, AMR for that, picking up the stuff that the other AMRs dropped. Let's talk about the mobile robots that are really very, very popular nowadays, at least in the press. At Probat, there were probably 20 or more AMR manufacturers. I think in practice today, there are probably three or four that have any reasonable number of installations. Everybody else is trying to get on the bandwagon because it's popular. I don't want to use the word hype, but that's kind of what it is. They're being hyped more so than they are capable of. Today, if you look at the videos on those manufacturer sites, you'll see two types of operations with AMRs. One is that the AMR has, I don't know, four, six totes or boxes perhaps on the AMR, and they're rolling down an aisle, and there's a person following it. And when it gets to the location where it needs picking, it'll stop, and on there will be a monitor on the AMR, which says, go pick this particular item, and it'll tell you the number of the location or perhaps even a picture of the item. Then you go over and you get the item, and you bring it back over to the AMR, and there's a scanner built in, and they'll scan the barcode on the item to make sure you're getting the right thing. Then it will either tell you where to put it, in some cases, also, there will be a light next to the, kind of like a pick the light. There will be some LEDs which will line up next to a box or a tote, say, put it right here. The other way that you see is that they will actually use colors. So maybe there's a green tote and a blue tote and a red tote and a yellow tote. So they will have a red screen, a blue screen, yellow, whatever. Then you'll put it in the tote corresponding to the color. So that's one way that you see MAMR is being deployed. I would argue that it doesn't reduce the number of people. you got a person following the AMR every place they go. It doesn't reduce picking. The people still do the picking. It might even be a little bit slower in the, from compared to pick the light because after they scan the first unit to make sure it's the right thing, they have to go back and get some more. Hopefully, they get them from the same location they got the first one. If they don't, they have to scan each one. In any event, that is the first way that people use it. The second way people use AMRs is to assign people to zones. And then the AMRs actually go to the zone where the person is. It stops at a location. The person sees the AMR at that location. They walk over to the AMR. In some cases where I've seen these things in practice, it might be a 20, 30, 40-yard walk from where they are to where the AMR is. And so they have to walk in their zone to the AMR. Then they have to do the picking the same way it was as if they had followed it. Same issues that we talked about. Then they put it in the totes. Then the AMR takes off and goes to another zone where another position in that zone where there's more picking to be done. That's the second method. So a person is assigned to a zone, the AMR shows up at the zone. The problem with the second method is that there's a lot of idle time if you don't have a lot of AMRs. The person sitting there waiting for an AMR to come to their zone. The way you overcome that problem of idle time is to have more AMRs, a whole lot more AMRs than you have people. And to do that, the ratios that I've heard are anywhere from three or four to one to as many as six to one AMRs for every picker. I visited one site where they were using the AMRs in the second method, and they had 25 pickers and 150 AMRs running around. Now, the problem with that, of course, is AMRs aren't free. 150 AMRs is kind of costly for 25 pickers. A second problem is you get so many AMRs, now you have congestion in the aisle with AMRs trying to get by other AMRs. 
it would be the same problem if you have 150 pickers. But now we have AMRs trying to do it. So that is a second problem with AMRs as we see them being deployed in almost all cases today. I think what you said earlier is totally true. One, don't create a solution to a problem that you don't have. And two is just, I think all of these applications probably work in the right environment. In the AMR example that you just gave, if you've got a smaller footprint or zones that aren't really, really large that you don't end up having people walk, because that's the whole basis of it, right? Is to prevent the walking and the travel path. But if you can create zones that are small and that you don't have idle times, then maybe in those examples, the AMRs are great, but maybe that's not so great for some brand or some company that still has really, really big zones, assignments, a lot of walking, large footprint, then I would totally agree that's not the right solution. But I think it's do your homework. They all offer something, but knowing what your problem is and not just chase the newest thing, but to really make sure you're selecting the right one. I was going to say, we get one customer that's using AMRs very effectively. But as you said a few seconds ago, AMRs are good for taking something from point A to point B rather than the person. They're really good at that. So if your picking area, for example, is a long ways away from your packing area, maybe, then after you finish picking, then the AMR can take whatever, maybe a cart, maybe use it like kind of like a tugger, if you will. If you go out and pick up a cart full of orders that someone's picked, take it over to packing, and then go back and maybe take another cart that's been prepped ready for picking and taking it back to picking at the same time. So those are really good applications. We have customers that are doing that very, very effectively. Now your people are spending more time picking and less time uh, moving carts. Yeah. I worked in an organization one time where there was like an enormous amount of interleaving hours. Remember the RSR, the reserve replenishments and interleaving time and that kind of stuff becomes less and less. But I'm curious, are there any emerging technologies right now that you're just really excited about that intrigue you that are coming into the market or already at market that's catching your eye? There have been a few things that have been tried in the past few years and many of them fall by the wayside. You remember Google Glass? Agents <laughs> discontinued them. They discontinued it. Why did they? Technology never met the needs of other methods. So it's really picking methods that I would say are evolving and getting better versus the technology to support them. The Google Glass got to a point where you could look at a barcode and it would recognize it. The problem was that you had to sit there and look at it for five seconds before it would recognize it. And had to be still. <laughs> that would be a great big barcode that took a while, you know, more than one location on the shelf. So, you know, there are some technical issues that still have to be ironed out before that type of thing will become popular. And even then, how much faster is that than scanning? Yeah. There are ring scanners now, which are becoming popular, which are basically hands-free. They can shoot from a distance. They're very reliable. They're not costly. So there are a lot of technologies like that that are, I would say, they're not coming. They're here (laughs) that people are now deploying with great success. So those types of things are here. I would say rather than the technology in terms of hardware, that we're seeing coming into play. I think the methods by which we're using existing technology are evolving and becoming more effective and more accurate at the same time. If your problem is throughput, for example, then I can't put 50 orders on a cart and serpentine my way through a huge picking area that might be a million square foot (laughs) where it takes me an hour to walk the perimeter. So you can't do that. So what do you do? Well, maybe what you do is you partition your huge picking area in 10, 20, 30, different partitions, and at the same time, you dispatch cards to pick portions of orders. In fact, portions of many orders, maybe 500 orders, 
while you're going through each one of those partitions or zones, you might call them. And so then we're getting parts of orders that are coming in totes for many, many orders. And then you're going to go to a put wall and consolidate those units into, or totes even, cubby holes in a put wall, kind of like a mail room, you know, with the slots in them, and using lights on the put wall, maybe LED lights, which are very inexpensive now. But using those types of things to give you a new method of getting greater throughput. And of course, it doesn't take much time for 20 people to each walking 5% of the picking area rather than each person serpentining through the entire area. So again, those types of methods and even hybrid methods, which use a combination of cards and put walls to take advantage of 80-20 rules and things like that, even slotting. Slotting is something people like to do, but there are now methods of slotting where you don't need to slot once a month or once a quarter, but you can slot on every wave of orders without moving the product around. So there's some new ways of doing things that nobody had thought about before. And that's what some of the things that I've been doing that I took ideas out of the research lab. And in fact, some artificial intelligence we're using now to help create those kinds of solutions. Professionals in our industry, are they in danger being left behind if they don't keep up with the evolving technologies. We just went through probably 15, 20 different types of technologies. And some listeners are like, they may understand and have heard of the terminology, but not by any means experts in any of them. What advice do you have for professionals who are not yet converted into that new language that we operate in today? As an educator, I'm always in favor of people continuing to grow in their knowledge. And cutting edge is great, but there's a balance between me growing in my knowledge and what are the goals of the company. There's a little bit of a trade-off there. I think a company ought to provide their employees with time to stay on top of things. But on the other hand, they need to do their job as well. I've got to stay in business while they're doing that. And if I'm doing it for the right reason, if I'm staying abreast of technology to help my company and they're providing me time with it, that's one thing. If I'm growing in my knowledge so I can find another job, <laughs> then that's another thing. So that's a little bit of a problem. I worked for a company that was installing one of the huge major, and I won't mention it, it's a German firm that makes ERPs. <laughs> and the employees, I talked to a fellow that said, I want to learn all about it and be on the cutting edge because when my next job comes along, I want to be able to go out there and get it. Well, that's kind of the wrong reason. His company didn't educate him in that product so he could find another job. <laughs> right, right, right. Jack, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming to the podcast. Where can people go to find more about you or Fast Fetch? Well, we have our website, www.fastfetch.biz. That's Baker Indigo Zebra on the end. They can also call or send an email to sales at fastfetch.biz and we'll get back with you. If you want somebody's phone number, I can give you the phone number of Randy Cole, who's our vice president for sales and technology. Randy's phone number is 864-243-7840. He'll get back with you if he's not available to answer it right then. We believe in answering the calls with the right people rather than take a number. I'll call you back. Thanks, Jack. We'll leave a link down in the video for the listeners and when we get it posted as well. Thanks again. Thanks to the listeners today for joining in on today's podcast. This concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. 